glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Give you three things then about uh, concerning Gaius here tonight, beginning in verses 1 and 2 with his regard, and by regard what I mean the care that John had for him. How many of you find in your flesh something that pushes back at someone else needing to care for you? So how many of us would think, when I turned 18, I got over that. You know, I, was, I took care of myself then, or whatever age it was. When I left mom and dad's house, I didn't need someone to care about me. Uh, we find, I'll be honest with you, I think one of the things that makes some of us draw back from going to the doctor, we don't want someone else having to tend to our needs uh, we would rather just do that ourselves. Uh, that's just that's human nature. I'm not saying it's right, but it's human nature. Spiritually seek, speaking, God has set up that the older brethren and sisters in the church should care for the younger ones. Turn to 1 Peter 5, and I'll prove that to you from Scripture, that God's system, it's a family. Remember, John, how much he mentioned the family uh, unit in 1 John? He, he dealt with the father. He called them brethren and so forth, I think it's why he refers to himself as the elder in Second John and Third John. He is reminding them as an older brother, it is my role and responsibility to look out for you younger ones who might be a little more vulnerable, spiritually speaking. And so just like in a family, any good parent would train children until they're old enough and mature enough and responsible enough, and then they would train those older siblings, now you watch out for your younger siblings. You watch out for the things they're not going to be aware of, maybe physical dangers. They may be uh, ignorant and chase a ball into the street and you stop them. There may be evil people trying to do them harm. You look out for them. And so in a general sense, in a very general sense, if you look at the pattern in the New Testament, there are times the word elder, I believe when John references it, he means it in a twofold manner. He's elder, certainly he was elder as in years, maybe a threefold reference. He's elder in years. But he's an elder in the faith. He was an apostle. He, he walked with the Lord Jesus. He saw him resurrected from the dead. But he's also an elder in the official sense. He was a pastor. He cared for churches. He was a bishop. So elder can mean a bishop or a pastor. It can be used in the general sense of people that are just more mature in the faith. And so then, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 says, The elders which are among you I exhort, certainly there were leaders, official leaders there he's talking to, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind, neither as being lords of God's heritage but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, if you want some context for this text, here's where verse 5 comes in. Likewise, ye... Younger. Now, is he talking about you know, teenagers obeying adults, or is he talking about spiritual maturity level here? Spiritual maturity. I believe a man may be 60, but he just got saved, and you got a man that's 30, and he's been saved since he was 10, and the 60-year-old in the faith, he's one-year-old in the faith, and the 30-year-old is 20 in the faith, and he's matured. The elder needs to be the younger and listen to the elder, if you would. So ye younger, submit yourselves unto thee, Elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. The last part of that verse does not undo the first part. He doesn't say, ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder. Well, everybody just submit to everybody. 
I mean, that's not the way, it, that's what it says. Be all be subject one to another. But what he lays out in the beginning is, I've told the elders to take the oversight. Now you younger ones submit and listen and follow. Because they're caring for you. Uh, I believe it's Hebrews talking about obeying them that are over you in the Lord, for they watch for your soul. And so John is writing to Gaius, watching for Gaius' soul. He has a great regard for Gaius. He loves him, and because he loves him, he's going to give him some truth. He's going to say, here's some things you need to know. Same thing he had done in Second John with this elect lady and her children. He loved them, so he's going to tell them the truth. Jesus said you should know the truth, and the truth should make you free. Uh, anyone that loves, that is watching over another one, let's back up just a little bit. You got a younger, a younger person. Let's, let's look at this in the physical world. How many of us know that adults are more perceptive of dangers than children? And so what, you know how this happens today in our parenting world. Many times, instead of the adults giving the children the truth, the adults change the definition of truth to make the children happy. So instead of telling the children, no, this is the truth, this is dangerous for you, I can't allow that in your life, it is, well, he likes it, and so, you know, instead of sticking to the guns and holding the truth and telling the child the truth, many times there is a modification of the truth so that the child will like the parent. That doesn't work that way in the family of God. God says, you elder are responsible for the younger, and I just want to make this establishment at the beginning that John felt a responsibility, had a responsibility because he's the elder to give the truth to Gaius, whom he loved in the truth. And um, even so it is in our lives that if we're going to grow in truth, we must accept God's care for us, given to us through people that are going to give us the truth. If we ever get to the point where we resent being given the truth by someone who has more experience in the truth, we're going to be in grave danger Spiritually, i just make just a few more points on the establishment that God's economy of care in the church, it's not the way the corporate world works where you climb some ladder by success. Where uh, So the way men might work this in church is, well, you get to care for more people when you prove that you can be more successful in building something for God. God says, no, those who have been walking in the truth longer and those who have been saved longer know the Lord longer, I'm going to entrust care to them. So, for instance, you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. There, there are some mutual qualifications between a bishop and a deacon. And one of the mutual qualifications is of the bishop, he must, he must not be a novice. I mean, he can't be a younger. He's got to be matured in the faith. And of the deacons, it says they must first be proven. It's the same thing. The idea of the elders, those who've been matured and faithful, Caring for others. And so here you have Gaius who evidently is caring for people spiritually. He's got John caring for him. And so having said all of that, we find John has great regard for Gaius as an elder brother for a younger brother. Back to verse 1. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. That's the same statement he made to the elect lady and her children. I love in the truth. Nothing makes a stronger bond and relationship than people that love each other because their common denominator is their belief of and love for the truth. And so then uh, the, the glue that, st- that stuck these men together was the truth. Having said that, let me hit a rabbit trail again very quickly. And you, you've heard me say this before, but in Ephesians chapter 4, we're told to endeavor to keep what is it, the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. I only flipped a couple of words. I heard a dear preacher, he accidentally quoted that way the other day. So we've got to endeavor to keep the spirit of unity. That is not what it says. 
endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The, the Spirit of God is called the Spirit of truth. When He comes, He would bring all things to our remembrance and guide us into all truth. You know what the, the unity of the Spirit is? Loyalty to the Word of God. Because the Word of God is truth. The opinions of men are not truth. The Word of God is truth. And our loyalty to the Word of God. No stronger fellowship exists on planet Earth than two people who love the truth of God's Word. None. There's no deeper friendship. I thought today, I thought about a very dear friend of mine. I thought, we have had some bumps in our friendship. But you know what has kept our friendship stuck? It's a solid friendship. Truth. This friend loves the truth. I love the truth. If either one of us quits loving the truth, we'll quit loving each other. This is the way it works. So John says, guys, I love you in the truth. You're well-beloved. That's a strong word. Well-beloved, whom I love in the truth. If you love somebody in the truth, they become well-beloved to you. Amen? And so then his reference to him, he calls him well-beloved. Three more times he'll call him beloved. You get the idea. John cares a great deal about Gaius. And that's why he's going to say some of the things he says to him. So his reference to him as beloved tells his regard for Gaius. Number two, his relationship with him. He's the elder. We've called him the elder brother. But in verse 4 he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Apparently John had been influential in seeing Gaius born again into the family of God. That's the reference there, even as Paul would reference to his children in the faith those he had brought up in the nurture of the Lord as a, an elder brother. And so then thirdly, his regard for Gaius is seen in his request for him. Look at verse 2. He said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. It sounds to me the insinuation is, the inference is that Gaius was what? Sick. I think that's a very fair assessment to make there. What John is saying is your body is not well, but your soul is. What he's saying is your soul, you're walking. So what is, I like equal signs. I like equivalencies, all right? Not the world's definition of equality. I say I like equivalencies. What John says is walking in the truth equals soul prosperity. How can you tell if you're spiritually healthy? Are you walking in truth? Now, what does that mean? Remember a few weeks ago, we, we dealt with a message on hypocrisy and hypocrisy being a two-sided coin. Hypocrisy is either outwardly putting on the show before men acting before men like I love God when I don't. That's what the Pharisees did. They were not walking in truth. The truth was they were covetous. The truth was they were adulterers. The truth was they hated God because they hated Jesus Christ. But they prayed long prayers. They fasted twice a week. They tithed on everything. They were at the temple or the synagogue constantly. They knew the scriptures. Meaning before men, they made it appear that they loved God deeply. But in their hearts, they didn't even know God let alone love him. That's hypocrisy. How many of us, that's normally the only definition of hypocrisy we think of? So not walking in truth is, that's what false religion is all about. We put on a ritual for God that makes it seem like we love God to men when in our hearts God knows we don't. That is hypocrisy. That's not walking in the truth. The other side of the coin is pretending before men that I don't know God when I do. That's what Peter did. Peter knew the Lord Jesus Christ, knew exactly who he was, was his disciple, but when he got put under the gun in front of men, he acted like he was lost. That is also not walking in truth. There are men tonight, we've heard a lot of preachers say, I think two-thirds of people in the pews of America are unsaved. That may be true, but I'll tell you what else may be true. 
We may just have a lot of people that are saved that when they get before men, pretend they're not. You have both going on. You have men that are genuinely saved like Lot of the Old Testament who had some things on earth that he wanted and so before men... He put on like he didn't know who the Lord was. He put on like he was one of them. There are people that as soon as they get outside the church building, they know how to acclimate to the culture and to the world enough that you would never suspect they were a Christian. That is not walking in truth. And I preach a little harder on that tonight because that's a little more where we might be in this church. I don't think we're out there uh, with our, our nose in the sky, praying long prayers and sounding trumpets. We may be, some may be. That may be the form. I'm sure both forms are potential for any of us. But the fact of the matter is, what is more prevalent, I believe, in our churches today is, you know what, I am scared of the world treating me like Jesus, so I'm going to act enough like them that they think I'm not one of His. That's not walking in truth. What happened is some people that knew John and some people that knew Gaius came in, saw Gaius, watched his conduct in the world and said, that guy is the real deal. That's what it means to walk in truth. We call it being sincere, genuine. Uh, I've been asked more than once by people, uh, who who has made the greatest difference in your life for serving the Lord? Without any fail, without any fail, the the people that have had the most influence on my life that have convinced me it is right and good to serve the Lord are people that are the same. They have flaws, they have problems like the rest of us, but they're not two different people. They're not one person in private and another person in public. They love the Lord at home, they love the Lord at church, they love the Lord at the grocery store, they love the Lord wherever they are. They're not two-faced, they're not a bunch of different people. They mean what they say when they say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Gaius was. John says, you're well in your soul. His request was, I wish above anything, I sure do wish that your body was as healthy as your soul. But then what he goes on to say, so we see his regard for Gaius in his reference to him. He's well-beloved, beloved. His relationship to him, he's an elder brother. He has helped bring him into the family of God. His request for him that he might be in good health. Obviously, he knows the man. He knows his health problem. He cares about that. That ought to tell us something what it means about loving the brethren, doesn't it? You know, I think it is, this will be very practical for a minute. We ought to love each other enough to know what each other are dealing with, what problems we're addressing, and how we can pray for people. No one had to tell John, did you know Gaius' health has failed? No, he knew it because he loved him. And so he said, I wish you were better. But then his rejoicing in him, look at verse 3, for I rejoiced greatly. He said He's explaining why he's saying that Gaius' soul is prospering. He's saying your soul is fine. It's your body that's giving you problems. Verse 3, I rejoiced greatly when the brethren uh, came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You know what John says? As much as I wish you were better... I couldn't be happier for you. And we'll just reiterate what John had said in Second John. And when you are spiritually caring for someone else, nothing gives you more joy than seeing them be a sincere Christian. To walk in truth. To not be putting on like they believe something or they don't or pretending they don't believe something when they do, but to be a consistent, faithful Christian. That, when, you're, when you're leading someone spiritually, that's success. That is success. How do you know when you've succeeded in accomplishing in the life of someone that you're leading spiritually when they are keeping the commandments of Jesus Christ sincerely? 
Because that's our goal. To see them believe on Christ, obey Him in baptism, evidence that new birth, and then live a life of obedience to His commandments. And you know what? You can see people succeed physically. You can see them succeed financially. But when they are not doing well spiritually and will not make decisions of obedience to the truth as a, in your soul, whether a parent or pastor or teacher, it grieves your soul. It doesn't matter if they are doing extremely well in every facet of life, but they are not obeying God's Word. And the flip side is true. When you do see someone obey God's Word, you say, man, I wish you were healthier, but I have such joy to see the consistency of Christian living in your life. I wish your finances weren't so rough, but you know what? You're doing well spiritually. It's all right. And that's the truth of it. You know what this tells us again where God's priorities are? Where are our priorities? Just look at any church prayer list. Our priorities are more on the physical health than on the spiritual. And look, don't misunderstand. Was John concerned about his physical health? Should we pray for each other's physical health? Yes. But very clearly in God's Word, which one matters the most? Spiritual. We're in a culture right now that is making health an idol. Physical health has become an idol. And now look, I believe we ought to be healthy as much as we possibly can be. But how do you know this? Here's a man that is being commended, commended for his spiritual well-being, but he's unhealthy. Today, I've watched for years, if you don't have your, if you, if you struggle financially, now if you struggle financially because you're disobeying God's principles, that's bad. But how many of you have seen this kind of ideology? Well, that person's struggling financially. They must not be right with God. They don't have enough money. What are they doing wrong? Well, Jesus must have done something wrong. He never owned anything. I heard it said, I believe Leonard Ravenhill said, the only thing he ever owned was his cross. Everything else was borrowed. <laughs> About right, isn't it? So by our measure, Jesus was a failure. By our, by our measure, Epaphroditus in Colossians was a failure because he was sick. Nigh unto death. May I say this? Poor health is not an indictment on your spiritual state. That's what, that's what John's saying to guys. I wish you were better physically. In fact, I wish your physical condition was equivalent to your spiritual condition because spiritually, man, you are doing good. And it tells you you can have one without the other. Uh, and so then, uh, he's rejoicing in him. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You say, you know, I really want to do right. I want those uh, that are given to care for my soul spiritually. I, I, I may have heard this said. I've said about parents and children. You've heard me say this. heard a, a, a parent you know, counselor, how to raise your children, say, children want to pl- uh, please their parents. Naturally, children want to please their parents. And when I heard that, I said, nah, I take exception to that. Children want their parents to be pleased with them. But that doesn't mean children want to please their parents. And I heard a man recently, a missionary in Mexico, Brother Ron Goodman, say the same about our walk with God. He said, I heard somebody say, well, people just really want to please God. He said, not so. People want God to be pleased with them. But that's not the same as pleasing God. Same is true with spiritual leadership. Many times we all want those who are responsible for our spiritual care to be pleased with us. May I say this? You want to please those that are caring for your soul, just walk in truth. Live lives consistent with the Word of God. And those who care for your soul. By the way, if someone says they care for your soul and they rejoice more in your financial prosperity than your spiritual prosperity, something's wrong. They rejoice more in the earthly assets and, and blessings of your life than your spiritual state. Something's wrong. Someone who truly is God ordained to care for your soul is going to concern more over your spiritual state and walk with God 
than anything else. So moving on, that's John's regard for Gaius. Now, Gaius' report begins in verse 3. John says this, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and the strangers. On occasion, I've had this happen both as a dad and as a pastor. I've had people come talk to me either about my children or about some of the members of this church. There's a great joy when someone in the community stops you and says, you know, I met your son the other day. What a great kid. And they want to tell you about their conduct and their behavior, and I've had it happen. Man, that'll give you joy to find out, oh, my child did not know that that person was going to say something to me or even that they even know their dad. And when dad wasn't around, wasn't watching, they were being watched. And someone says, I, I met your child the other day and they were, such a, they were such a blessing. Or maybe another young person in the church, somebody gives a testimony. Maybe sometimes I've had members of this church, visiting pastors come through, pull aside and say, but that's so-and-so-and-so. So man, they are a blessing. No one asked for that. And I believe that's exactly what happened with John is some people had met Gaius and came and said, you know, Gaius, that you led to the Lord, John, he is doing well. He is obeying the Lord. He has a testimony. Everybody knows he's a Christian. John says, man, it gave me joy. Man, may I say this? You never fear people talking about you when you're doing the right thing. You don't fear somebody catching you obeying God. How many of you have ever thought this? Man, I hope... I hope one of the other church members doesn't come in here while I'm witnessing to this person in the grocery store. I'd hate for that to get out on me. No. We don't. Boy, I hope nobody catches me praying alone in my office. I mean, you might want time alone and be private. I hope nobody catches me praying over here in, in my bedroom. I hope nobody comes in the church, spend a few minutes before everybody gets here. You know, you, maybe you're here and nobody else is and it's taking some time for prayer and you think, man, I hope nobody catches me praying. When you're walking in truth, it doesn't bother you that somebody says, somebody talked to me about you the other day. And what John says is, guys, I got a good report on you. I don't know if the Lord will allow. That throughout the New Testament, the Bible talks and uses the word report, meaning what other people have to say about the testimony of your life. Our report matters. How many know that one of the, one of the qualifications of a deacon is they must be of good report, meaning they got to have a good testimony in the community? Uh, and so on and so forth. And that should be true of all of us. Well, Gaius had a good report. The brethren had came and testified of a few things. So the source of that testimony was the brethren. There were other uh, people in that church that had come to John and had said, this is what we observed in Gaius. Here are the specifics of the report. They said, that man is full of the truth. Now, how would they know that? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The Bible says they testified of the truth that is in thee. David said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. It troubles me. It troubles me when Christians can go weeks and weeks on end without speaking any portion of God's word to another person. It makes you wonder how much is in them. I'm not talking about in the head. I'm talking about in the heart. Old Charles Spurgeon coined the phrase. He said, Our, our language should be bibline. <laughs> you ought to have so much of the Bible in you that you can't help but come out of you. Amen? I mean, notice when Jesus was preaching, he didn't, he just says, as it is written. And there he goes. As it is written. And there he goes. How many notice that's what Stephen did when he preached? 
When Stephen preached, you know, he got a few weeks to prepare for that message. He said, I'm going to be preaching in a few weeks in front of the council. I've got to get my outline together. It was in him. Therefore, it came out of him. You know what? The Bible only gets in you one way. You've got to put it in. You know what? Gaius had taken time to fill his heart and his mind, not just with the content of Scripture, but John says the truth. Gaius, you know, meaning he had not only the facts, he had an understanding of the facts. Truth is more than just being able to memorize facts. It's having understanding, being able to connect. God's word says this, and God's word says this, therefore this is the truth. And I stand firm. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. You know why? There's not a verse that says Jesus is God in the flesh. I mean, pretty much. That's what John 1.14 says. But you've got to take this verse plus this verse and this verse, and you say, you have to know that's exactly what God has said. The truth, he was, the truth was in him, But then that wasn't all what was in him governed what was on the outside of him. The Bible says, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. What is in you is evidenced by the way you live. You obviously have the truth and you're living according to the truth. And so uh, John's report, the report John was given, the specifics, Gaius possessed the truth, but he also practiced the truth. His life was consistent with what he said. He wasn't like at this, now Peter, Lord help Peter, but he wasn't living his life saying, well, I believe, you know, that we're not supposed to curse God and then turn around and curse God. How many people do we know today that claim to be Christians to say, well, I believe this and do just the opposite? I mean, I believe, that, I believe it's wrong to take God's name in vain, but God knows we are but dust. Well, then live according to that truth. <laughs> Amen? Uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday, uh, Brother Holman Street. We had lunch together. And I said, you know, God never changed. God's standard never changed. Uh, We're talking about grace and law and how that works. Law requires us to be righteous, but it requires the flesh to accomplish it. Therefore, you can't. can't. The law does not make a man righteous because what it says is this is the righteousness of God. These are the precepts. You've got to keep them all to be righteous, and it takes fleshly willpower. Grace doesn't change God's righteousness. I said this. Many think that what grace did is changed God. That somehow when grace came, it made God a less righteous God. That grace means God's character change and he requires a different standard. No, he requires righteousness. What grace does, instead of requiring it to come from us, God says it'll come from me. In my grace, I will enable you to be righteous in my sight and to be righteous before me. And you say, what does this have to do with this? There are those that act like you can't walk in truth. Walking in truth, you know what what the Bible word for walking in truth is? It's called being faithful. Not sinlessly perfect. Now, we won't be that to get a new body. It's called being faithful, meaning I will do what I know is true and right. And, uh, and so then, that's what Gaius will be called faithful. John says, what thou doest, thou doest faithfully. And so then, uh, the specifics of the report on Gaius is he possessed the truth, he practiced the truth. The significance of that, does it matter how we walk? I'll say this again. I believe I said it last week. If you want to discourage your parents or your pastor, claim that you believe the truth but don't obey it. That'll discourage anybody who loves you truly. Claim I believe what the Bible says and don't and then just don't do anything about it. And I believe there's more to what we don't do than what we know. If we have the truth and will not change our conduct to to comply with the truth, meaning the truth of God's will. How many of us know truly what God's will is for our life in a lot of areas? We know the truth. 
But if we won't change to comply with that. Our walk, you know what, you know what Gaius' walk did? It brought great joy to John. Now, that, you don't do it to bring joy to somebody, but our walk does affect those around us. It not only brought great joy to John, it obviously brought great joy to the brethren that saw Gaius. We're talking about one man. How many of us woke up this morning thinking, I would like to study the character Gaius in the Bible? He's like a lot of us. You don't hear of him that much. But here's a man, his decision as to what to do with the truth had a tremendous effect on those who observed his life. And some people say, well, it's my life. I'll do it. Well, none of us liveth to himself and none of us dieth to himself. We live unto God. We die unto God. Here's Gaius. There was a significance to his walk. It was noticed. How many of us think nobody's noticing how I'm living? Oh, it's noticed. Not only by God, it's noticed by men. Our, here's my point. Our testimony is greatly significant, whether good or bad. It has a tremendous significance. How many of us know when Peter was not doing right, it was, it was significant? How many you know when Peter fled, they all fled? When Peter went a-fishing, most of them went a-fishing. So the idea would be our walk, meaning the decisions we make in response to truth, it does matter. It matters to spiritual leadership. It matters to our brethren. It matters all the way around. It's, it's a matter of testimony. And so... John says, I've heard that you're walking truth. No greater joy than to hear that. And, uh, and so it matters. It's uh, significant, this matter of how we live in the report of our lives. Number three, finally, Gaius' responsibility, verses 6 through 8. So we've seen his regard, John's regard for him, his report from the brethren about the, the truth that was in him and the truth that was practiced by him, the significance. It brought great joy to John and those who testified of him. Thirdly, the responsibility. John says this. He says, which have borne witness of thy charity... Before the church. So obviously Gaius was sacrificially giving of himself to the church. And the entire church had a testimony of that. And it came back to John. Then he says this. Whom if thou bring forward. So I believe he's referring back to the brethren that had come and reported about his charity before the church. And reported about his walking in truth. Whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort thou shalt do well. That bringing forward has to do with funding their trip, in essence. You, you're going to help facilitate. You can study that throughout the New Testament. That's what it means. You're going to help bring them forward. John, Paul says, and you have to do it after a, uh, John. After a godly sort, you have to follow godly principles to financially assist them. But if you bring them forward on their journey, they're on a journey. These brethren that reported of you to me are on a journey, and you have an opportunity to assist them. I know you're a man of charity. If you do that after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Now, here's what happens. When we have truth and love, it develops and helps us understand our responsibility. The truth is these were brethren. The truth is these were faithful brethren. The truth is Gaius was a man of charity, and these men were, were true servants of God. And John says, because of the kind of character you are and love the Lord, now you have another decision to make. You have some men coming your way, some brethren who reported of you to me. Now they're coming your way, and now you have a responsibility to bring them on their way to financially assist them and bring them forward on their journey after a godly sort. You'll do well if you do that. Then he explains why, verse 7, because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. You want to, you want to talk about a, a, a set of verses that supports missions giving. You have people that are willing to go forth for Christ's namesake, to take his name to other lands. They're willing to make sacrifices because of the truth, because we love the same truth they love, then we ought to love them enough to support them and help them go forward on their journey. It's one of the reasons sometimes we have missionaries come through. We cannot take them on monthly for whatever reason. We're not at that place, not at that time. 
but we can bring them forward on their journey after a godly sort. We can take an offering or we can take some of the extra money we have and help them go. The Bible's so practical. The common denominator is the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what binds us together and we ought to help anyone who's willing to, to make sacrifices for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says of Paul and Barnabas, I believe it was Paul and Barnabas, they were men who had hazarded their own lives for Christ's sake. It hazarded their lives. How many of us know the people represented on that board back there are living, most of them, in greater danger tonight than we are? Most of them are. Not all, but most. It wouldn't matter if they're not. The point is this. John is, is, is saying because of your faithfulness, faithfulness already brings you to another responsibility. You're to assist the brethren that are coming your way because they are, they are loyal to the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. They have a, John, or Gaius, they have the same testimony you do. These men uh, were willing to take nothing of the Gentiles for the Lord's name, meaning had they received of the Gentiles, it would have made it look like they were for hire. They did the same thing that Paul did in 1 Corinthians 9. They refused to take an offering from the Gentiles because it would look like they were coming with their hand out. So John says, look, they're the same kind of, of person you are. They love the truth. They love the Lord. They're coming your way. You need to assist them financially because they've refused financial help already to honor the Lord's name and make sure it doesn't look like the gospel's for sale. So you make sure they're taken care of. Amen? And so then, assist the brethren. Number two, accept the brethren. He says, uh, verse 6, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Verse 7, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers of the truth. He said, when these kind of men who have have declined financial assistance to protect the integrity of the Lord Jesus Christ's name. If that's the kind of men you're dealing with, you get on board with them and you help them. Those are men who love the truth more than self. If you're willing and I'm willing to take a financial hit in order to not make our Lord look bad, that's someone who's loyal to the truth. Those are the kind of people we ought to get behind and say, you know what, if you're forwarding the truth like that, we're going to be fellow helpers. Let me ask something. Does it? Does he just say, you know, here's some people that are coming along, they say they're brethren, help them financially. No, he's very careful. He says, you're to help them because they are proven that they are more loyal to the truth than they are to themselves. Make sense? There, there is a vetting process for who we're going to support financially. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry that comes around saying, we want money for the work of the ministry, that's not the way that goes. Amen? But those that demonstrate a loyalty to the truth and say, you know what, we're committed to getting the truth go forward. And if that is that personal sacrifice, we're going to do it. My goodness, not only do we have an opportunity, at that point we have a responsibility to help those people go forward on their way because we are then fellow helpers of the truth. Let's look at it from a different angle very quickly as we're almost done. Look at Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Talking about receiving brethren and assisting brethren. These were not, it would seem, all members of the same church, by the way. John refers to the church that Gaius is part of. We know they've been ministering among the Gentiles, so they weren't part of those churches. But here they're going to come Gaius' way into his church, and he says, I want you to help them on their way. In regard to accepting and receiving brethren, the Bible says this, Romans 14, 1, him that is weak in the faith, so we're not even talking about the same caliber of men, him that is weak in the faith receive you, but what is the condition? But not to doubtful disputations. Do you know what the subject matter then is again? The truth. If they want to argue over what is true, don't receive them. That's why Paul told Titus, him that is an heretic, 
uh, uh, admonish, uh, uh, him that is a heretic reject after the first and second admonition. Meaning, when they are arguing about what you know to be true and they are disputing the truth, you admonish them once, and if they won't hear, admonish them again. And if they won't hear that, reject them. Not, don't receive them. Because our glue that holds us together is the truth. We're not here to argue about the truth. I despise Sunday school uh, setups where it's a round table. We're going to throw a verse out there and say, nobody knows what it means, so everybody take their best guess. That is not what we come to do. If we don't know what a verse means, and leave it alone say, we're all ignorant, we don't know what it means. What we need is the truth. Paul told Timothy, these things speak and exhort with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Meaning we know it's true, so hold the truth. And if somebody comes along and they are forwarding the truth so much so that they are more concerned about what people think of Jesus Christ than they are about their pocketbook, you get behind them and you help them. Amen? That ought, I don't know about you. That helps me say, ah, then I know what my responsibility is. When I find someone else that's loyal to the truth, hey, we got to get on board. We ought to be seeing this. If we find somebody that we don't support yet as a missionary that has that kind of testimony, we ought to say, what can we do to be able to be part of helping them forward the truth? I believe that's what John's saying to Gaius. You have some people coming your way and you have a responsibility because they have financially suffered for the name of Christ. You make sure they don't suffer when they come your way. You assist them. And so then, assist the brethren, accept the brethren. And then another responsibility we'll see more and know more about after he deals with diatrophies. By the way, John is dealing with Gaius and saying, this is your responsibility. Everything he's telling Gaius to do, Diotrephes refused to do. You'll see it. Diotrephes booted people out of the church that were true brethren because they were competition with him. And so then... After explaining that, here's another responsibility. He says, you assist the brethren, accept the brethren. And then in uh, verse 11, he says, Beloved, referring to Gaius again, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. You, you get your course right. Uh, and he, Again, that, that, that verse will make more sense if we see more about diatrophies. He says, you have a choice. You can either follow what I'm telling you, or you can follow this example of diatrophies. John's going to give him some instruction. Here's what you need to do. There's some, I believe he's preparing him. You've got some brethren coming your way. Diotrephes going to want to boot them out, but you make sure that doesn't happen. If I'm understanding this correctly, you make sure that doesn't happen. This is how Diotrephes once would, would have you respond. And then he's going to conclude after talking about Diotrephes. He says, follow not that which is evil. You know what he's saying? What Diotrephes is doing is evil. What I told you to do is good. So don't follow that which is evil. Follow that which is good. May I just say this about Gaius? He had... He had John's regard because he was a brother and a son in the Lord. Not only that, though, he had a deeper regard because Gaius was faithful. He had a good report. Because of that, John says to him, I know the kind of Christian you are, and therefore, here's your responsibility. When the brethren come your way, our job is to further the truth. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Doesn't Satan try to get us distracted and make our goals much more complex than that? It's not. Our goal is loyalty to the Word of God and the furtherance of the Word of God to every creature. Amen? And, uh, and so may the Lord help us learn from Gaius' example. I thank God for a good example. I don't know about you. I would hope if somebody comes visits me and uh, knows me and happened to know my dad, who was my pastor and trained me for years and went and reported on me, that I wouldn't have to worry about the report they give nor should any of us. We ought to be living our lives consistently that whoever may run across our path and report on us to those who care for us, it would not bring grief to those who care for us. But like Gaius, 
When John got a report from Gaius, he said, what I heard about you did nothing but give me joy, other than I wish you were healthy. 